Welcome to the family with Andy Rampernard. Got a special guest coming up next. Be right back with the family. Tommy, I never believed it until now, but apparently you're a pretty big deal. Was there ever a question in your mind? Well, you might say I was a doubting Thomas. See what I did there? Yes, how incredibly clever. Anyway, what's your point? Well, last month I was trying to find you a car to replace the Mafia Mobile and suggested leasing a Nissan Altima as it was impossible to find your first choice. I love that Altima, and I'm actually looking forward to checking out the all-wheel drive as soon as it's known. Well, apparently someone at Nissan was listening to us, and at this month, at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan, we can offer short-term 18-month leases. That's actually pretty smart. By then, the chip shortage will be over, right? Man, I hope so. The only chip shortage I want to hear about is Bilski dumping one into the bunker. By the way, for the first time ever, Coon Rapids Nissan was number one in the state, and Burnsville was number two. Your Altima was actually one of the cars that put J-Lo on top. To learn more about short-term leasing, stop into Burnsville Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Let me know when uh, Chris is ready to go, Andy. Mm-hmm. Dialing right now. Indeed. As a matter of fact, Chris Shaver, how to make Valentine's Day last all year. We need it after that first hour, man. There was so much bizarre news in that first hour. Oh, we need to make more money. Oh, really? Billions and billions is not enough. You need to make more money, huh? You're going to buy votes with uh, crack pipes. You're going to... What a disgusting time we're in right now in our great uh, United States of America. Well, what are you gonna do? we do have Chris on the line now. See, this is the good news. Now, Chris, you're going to save the day because the first hour was not very negative and it's just about all these people <laughs> scamming people out of money. And now you're going to tell us how to make Valentine's Day last all year, which works for me. I've been uh, with the same woman now for 41 years. We've been married for 36 of those, 37 of those years. I couldn't be happier. So just tell people, live like Tom. That's the whole answer. <laughs> Thomas, only you could just pass that knowledge on and spread it around like butter. Uh, <laughs> spread it around like butter, baby. I like it. Yeah. So, yeah, how to how to make Valentine's last all year? Um, Valentine's is tricky, right? It's just one day, and but the flowers fade and the chocolates disappear, and then you're you can be right back into the kind of everyday stuff that trips you up, right? Everybody's got their own. Mm-hmm. issues and um gosh i mean somewhere between 30 and 50 percent of all marriages end in divorce so everybody seems to have really? a lot of issues 
Yeah, it's a big number. It's not a small number. So, and and there's a lot of research that says that the latest generations coming up are staying away from it. So that the number could be depressed. People aren't getting yeah, it married. Could be. Chris, you make some yeah. great points. Chris can share the stories of three different couples who fought for decades and quickly stopped once they understood the single surprising reason they were fighting. Is that true? That's just, that's surprising. Well, yeah, I think it's it's usually that way. I mean, most times couples, they don't get together because, you know, they don't see eye to eye on most things. But there is one hidden thing from all of us, and uh, it's kind of goes back when I was, um, I don't know, there's my story. So I was in 2012. Listen, if you had seen me standing in the kitchen fighting with my wife like an absolute idiot, you would think I'd be the last person on earth who'd be sitting here talking to you. And I've created a program called the Marriage (laughs) Program. Um, But it wouldn't have been me that you would have picked to do that. And But what happened, my wife got home from the store. We were the argument couple at that point, been arguing for 10 years. And our fight broke out, honestly, within 30 seconds. And I'm sitting there, you know, my mouth flapping and my ears are welded shut. And I know I'm acting like an idiot. Um, absolutely. There's <laughs> no two ways about it, right? I am an idiot. I am that guy. And But I had what you could only call a moment of grace right there. And it was almost like this magical thing. Everything slowed down. And I got to see, really slow down and replay the previous 10 seconds that had ignited this fight. Oh, and I, and I was just kind of stunned. I didn't even know what to, to make of it, but I, what I knew that, and what happened was those 10 seconds of that grace moment changed my life. But I mean, just to give it a little context, if you would go back 10 years before that, I'm walking through that same door. My wife just came through. I just got fired and I'm going to tell my wife I got fired. I know this is not going to go well. Um, for 25 of our 26 years of our marriage at that point had been really happy. Last year was a nightmare. Uh, the previous year had been a nightmare. I had gotten reassigned to work with my CEO, CEO and everything I did was wrong. You know, huge personality conflict, suffered a depression, super hard in my marriage. So I'm walking through the door and I know it's going to go hard on my wife. I had a severance package, everything. I mean, one year of salary. I mean, it looked the whole thing. I had a as good an exit as you could make from a company, but I just knew it was going to go bad. And sure enough, nine months after that moment, my wife was hospitalized, severe mental health and physical health crisis, severe, and picked her up from the hospital. Um, She told me some random comment a nurse made, basically told her um, that she should emotionally withdraw from our marriage. And at that point, I'm like, we need marriage counseling. We absolutely need marriage counseling. There's nothing else we need. And she said, no, we can do this ourselves. We're two smart people. Well, Tom, in the, in the doing it yourself, I, I easily read 100 books on marriage help. I mean, I am nothing if not a doggedly determined human being. And I read 100 books. The first 50 were full of brilliant general advice, none of which applied to my marriage. And so, you know, pretty frustrated. Um, about five years in, I had a friend who is a PhD psychologist hand me a book on conflict resolution. I was like, great, this is, <laughs> we got n- nothing but conflict resolution is needed here. And the first page says, well, if you identify the unmet needs in, in any conflict, you can then negotiate to meet those needs, right? It's logical. Something's missing. 
figure out what it is for both sides and figure out a compromise. Well, I was like, this is great. We have nothing but unmet needs, but there was not one more word in that book about what those needs might be and how to define those needs. There was no list of needs. There was nothing. So I started doing, I started digging into every book that I could, I would go to college libraries and get the books that they used to train, train marriage counselors. I figured, wow, this is such an important thing. It should be someplace. Well, Every book that I looked at had the same thing. It was, they all were trained under the same school, which is accurate, which is to find the unmet needs and then figure out a compromise. Not, and they all said that, and that was the last thing they ever said about the word needs. So I'm like, this is really frustrating. It's a whole body of literature that's clear that you better understand your needs in a marriage. Uh, and if you can't, then there's no way you can ever compromise and find a solution. So flash forward to that, back to 2012, in that moment, I, I, I shut my mouth and I told my wife what was going on. She said I was crazy and I was like, not crazy. I know I saw something. I didn't know what it all meant. There were just a bunch of visual cues, nonverbals, a bunch of things that just simply triggered me. And But I did, I did know what I needed to learn more about, which was behavioral. Within three months, I found a, a, an ex-colleague whose LinkedIn profile was so self-aware, so profoundly self-aware, I just picked up the phone and called him and said, you clearly know something I have no idea about. And <laughs> right. he said, well, you, you, you have to take this assessment. So I took this assessment, and the next morning he sent me the results, and there in living color, 20 pages of all the needs that I had and that were being triggered in my relationship, black and white, spelled out, it was an assessment by a, uh, it was called the Berkman assessment, the Berkman method. Um, and it was right there in black and white. And I changed my career literally at that moment to become a Berkman consultant. Um, and, it, and the missing piece are those needs and the needs relate to behaviors that we offer each other that either land well or they land hard. And long answered your question, but that's the one missing piece. It's those unmet needs and relationships. It's so fascinating. Just I'm listening to you, Chris, and just going over, you know, like I said, Catherine and I have been together for 41 years, been married for 37 years, and we had one period about so 27 years ago, something like that, 25 years ago, let's say, when, you know, and Andy, uh, the other young man on the show today, and our daughter, Alex, um, they still look about. Remember that one time you guys were thinking about getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. You still remember you you talked about that that, that way, Andy. Yep. Because we never really talked about getting a divorce, but it kind of felt like that to the kids. And it was, you know, it was all based on Chris. It was all based on the fact that I do a, I do a morning talk show as well in Minnesota, and I've been on that show for thirty six years now. And we got a thirty share, and it puts so much pressure on me uh, because. It, you don't get 30 shares in radio anymore. It was the highest rated morning show in America, as a matter of fact. And it puts so much pressure on me. I couldn't think clearly anymore, Chris. And I'm very serious about that. I had so much pressure on me. I mean, our kids were very, very patient because let's say we'd go to the local Dairy Queen to have lunch. Strangers would just come and sit down at the table because they wanted to talk about the show. It was this huge show that everybody listened to. And it... I don't think it almost ruined my marriage, but it was the, the the roughest spot for my wife in the marriage because I didn't know what to do. I kept every day I kept waking up going, what am I going to do? Well, I mean, if it goes down to one point, it's going to look bad. What am I going to do? 
Does that enter into it a lot too? Whether you're failing or or you're achieving new heights, it can be very difficult on a marriage, right? Well, I would actually ask you a couple questions about that because okay, um, I I kind of break it down. I always say there's make it simple, right? There's three fights in every marriage, and one of the types of fights is an energy fight, and energy can express in a number of ways in people. This is out of the assessment. Um, there can be physical energy, and there's emotional energy, there's social energy, sexual energy, we don't measure, but everybody knows it's there. Yeah, but sure. so you're, you're, yeah, right? you're in the midst of this um, intense moment in your life where, like you said, you're hitting heights, you know, you're, you're flying so high, your wings are starting to melt, right? <laughs> right so, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that, there's a lot of emotional energy being expended in your mind saying like, I don't know how I got here, but I need to be, you know, thinking about this morning, noon, and night. And whether yes, it's physical yep. energy or emotional energy, you were just drained. Now, yep. Tom, when I say energy fights, energy fights are so easy for couples to, to see. And because once your energy is drained down to that point, you got nothing in the tank. You got nothing left to give your, your partner, your spouse right. in your relationship. And, and you, you change, you literally change. And the longer you're walking around with that empty gas bag, and it can happen, like you said, like I'm just in this life situation. So now it's every single day. You're walking around, you know, totally, totally spent, got nothing to give. And your wife, Catherine, is probably looking at you saying, this is not the man I married. Right. Who is this guy? Yep. Right? So we've, once our energy is drained down, we do become other people. We, and, and even worse, when somebody's talking to us, because we're, we start to, we listen through ears that can't hear anymore. We just don't have the energy for it. It takes energy to process your spouse, her, you know, her feelings, her thoughts, mm-hmm. the, subtle, the subtle nonverbals that you might miss, the cues that otherwise you would pick up on. You're spent. You got nothing. So all this stuff goes rolling past you and the next thing you know you're in the midst of fights that make no sense at all right except except the fact that you're not the same person anymore no yeah that's that's a very good take on the whole situation you you literally it was everything i mean andy you remember we used to have to have to have a police car in front of our house at halloween i used to have to travel with a with an armed guard going a lot of places i mean it was that big a deal chris and it, it literally almost it didn't drive me almost nuts, but it almost got me to want to go walk the earth if you don't <laughs> just get away. It was way too much pressure. And I love well, your take on it, the energy fight. That's what it, it's exactly what it was. Yeah, and it, and it can be something beyond that because when I say needs, I mean, uh, there's a guy called Maslow who created the, was a theory of a hierarchy of human needs. But, uh, and it's quite valid. Um, just nobody's ever really had to do the work to prove it. But if you're if your uh, personal safety was at risk, if you had nut jobs who were visiting your house such that you needed security out front, that's another really kind of, and maybe your wife's feeling every bit of that. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's no longer safe for my kids here. So that level of, that's an unmet need, right? I am no longer safe in my own home. Now you're going to look yet again, like somebody who, you know, is not the normal, easygoing, 
I can get along with you kind of person. It's like, I'm stressed out morning, noon and night. I don't think we can't go out the door. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I, look, I, I'm very, very lucky in that it was a, there was a very brief period in Catherine. I am married to a very strong woman. I adore this woman. Matter of fact, I say all the time, we've been together for 41 years and I love her more now than I ever have. And I fell in love very quickly with her. Well, a very quick story of how I fell in love with my wife. It'll only take about a minute to tell you this, Chris. But I went into my attorney's office, and I was his only client, right? He, he just did my work, and that's what he did. So I walk in, and he has this young 21-year-old receptionist, very pretty young woman. And I walk in, and I went, well, I, we hadn't met before. I said, what's your name? She goes, Catherine. I said, okay. Well, would you tell uh, Alan, Alan was the, my attorney, would you tell Alan that Uncle Tom is here? Right, and I'm not his uncle. I just said Uncle Tom to try to be smooth or something. I don't know what the hell I was doing, Chris, but I gave it a whirl, right? So I said, "Would you tell Alan that Uncle Tom is here?" I had never met her. Uh, she, he dials his his extension and says, and I quote, "Mr. Dorfman, Uncle Bob is here." And I said, "My name is Tom." And she looked up and said, "Yeah, whatever." I fell in love that minute, Chris. <laughs> That is a true story. She's a very strong. I, I just, I just love the fact. I said, "Oh, really? Why don't you blow it out your whatever?" Uh, so that's the kind of woman. She's a very strong woman. She's she's a very tough woman. I adore her. She's very loving as well. So how do we? Do most people understand that about their spouse, Chris? Whether it's the woman to the man, the man to a woman, man to man, woman to woman, whatever. Do they really understand how how lucky they are to have what they have and who they have? Well, I think yeah. Until until you get it going on, yeah, right? And a, and yeah. a new experience. Um, it, once you got it going on, it's hard to get out of it because the worse it gets, the worse it gets. Yeah. And I, I think you know, there's all this research that shows that people wait about six years until they seek help, and that's too long because once you've got it going on and you're eroding. That really, I mean, you just talked about it. This is a really special gift when you fall in love. You know, it hits you like a ton of bricks. But yep. honestly, it's yep. a gift, and it's up to you to keep it alive. So I, I think that most people do realize that. But when you get stuck, you're stuck. And now, what the really what I sitting on this side of the fence that I sit on, where I see, I've seen hundreds of people's assessments, and the assessment gives uh, people a super articulate ability to navigate conflicting parts in their relationship. And so conversely, what I, what I see with my clients is people come in without that articulate ability to navigate what can be genuine differences between them, usually are genuine differences. And so without that, we don't have that language. Like you didn't have that language at the time. You right. just know you're going through a nightmare, right? It's like only yep. after the fact you kind of piece it together. But in the midst of it, you know, you, I think one of the hardest things with, with energy fights is we frequently don't know that the gas tank's empty. We're just doing our best to put one front in front of the other. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. We had, I don't know, I, I, I've got a significant other, and we're redoing our kitchen. And uh, it just, this just happened the other night. It was the end of the night. It was a long day. I was up at 5, and it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I just called Laura and I was like, I think we need another cabinet here, which I thought was a good thing to say to her. She likes, she's <laughs> mad for cabinets, right? Give me more cabinets. 
So uh, she starts she starts in on it. Shouldn't be there. It should be here. It should be there. Well, it took me like fifteen seconds to realize she was angry at that, and I was <laughs> like, "She's angry," and I was like, oh, "We're both out of energy. We're both out of energy." Because what should right. have been a really kind of fun, pleasant conversation was just went off the rails. And so, you know, that energy fight is, it's just this classic where if it doesn't make sense, take a step back and just, you know, see if that's what's underneath it. And it can be, it, it, you think you're okay, but you're not. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. We're talking to Chris Shaver, marriagecure.com is the website. That's marriagecure, one word, dot com. Uh, I'm telling you, it's it's... It's just a great idea you have. Chris is the author of the upcoming book, Marriage Cure. He's also the developer of the Marriage Cure Program, an assessment-based conflict resolution program that provides couples with an accurate, unbiased, and articulate way to see their personality differences and get a research-proven way to stop fighting and restore their love. I love the whole idea uh, with accurate, unbiased, because unbiased is not a word we're using a lot now in the world, particularly in America. It's... uh, Everybody is so incredibly biased now, whether it's political or religious or whatever. If you don't agree with me, Chris, I hate you. What is that all about? I mean, that does not help at all. And I know that's not what we're talking about. But we deal with a lot of bias every day. So to hear that something is unbiased is a, is a great gift, Chris. Yeah. Uh, Tom, right before the, um, the pandemic hit, I was at a conference where I was listening to a professor from uh, UCLA and, and her specialty was bias. And she said something which kind of rocked my little world, which was that there are over 500 types of bias being actively researched today. Ooh. So Ooh. What, <laughs> what this tells you is that we are bias making machines. Mm-hmm. In other words, personality is perception and perception is not truth. It's a series of filters through which we're looking at the world. Now, sometimes those filters can be your beliefs. And, and often in a marriage, those filters can simply be um, your, it, it actually your behaviors create filters and your needs for behavior from other people create filters. So um, let me, I, can I give you a, just a quick story? It's an example. It's a, a client I had, uh, a couple, and they were uh, fighting like cats and dogs. I mean, when I say like cats and dogs, it didn't matter where. At that point, they had, they were they they had two young kids. They'd been married for about four years, and they were fighting in public, <laughs> just mm-hmm. gasoline and matches at that point, right? And and I took these two on because they were um, uh, close to a friend of mine, family of a friend of mine, and what they still had left was they had in, an innate curiosity about each other. They they still loved each other and they still in strangely respected each other, but boy, were they burning the house down with their fight, <laughs> you know? And, and so it's a strange thing, right? Still in love, but burning the house down with your fights. Those two kind of don't go together, but so there's bi- so there was this strange bias in there. And it turned out that the wife was one of the most structured human beings you'd ever meet in your life. And not only was she structured in her behavior, but her underlying need, and your needs are not optional. Your needs are not optional. Her underlying need was intense structure. 
And she'd happen. And this is the way it goes with marriage. Like you said, you fell in love with your wife, you know, inside of a minute, basically. Yeah. yeah. But she, she had married one of the least structured human beings on the planet. <laughs> well, thank you. Right? It's so true. God has a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right? So, and, and neither one of them really understood that structure was what they were fighting about, which was the oddest thing because it was right there in front of them, hidden in plain sight. And so you would say, oh, structure is a bias. Like, why do you need to be so rigidly structured? And those are the kinds of things you might start to throw at each other, you know, when you're attributing the worst possible things to your spouse and you're in the midst of a fight, you start to, you know, you rigid, you know, B word and, you know, idiotically stupid B word, you know, can't, can't follow a plan for if your life depended on it the other way. So you start screaming at each other as though you're both deliberately somehow doing it only to upset the other one. And so you would look at that and you'd say, well, there's some sort of strange bias, but the bias is called personality. And, and within the personality, it's comprised of these nine behavioral needs. And if you get them wrong for the other person, it's a lot like walking around with a stone in your shoe. Mm-hmm. You know, the first day it's kind of cute. And, you know, by year three, it's like, I want to choke you. And by year five, you're just fighting in public. So it really is until you kind of get a a grasp on, I'm not just doing this to bother you. This is who I am. And, and, you know, letting couples see their genuine differences in black and white can just, it can have a profound effect on the couple because they realize like, wow, you just are a completely different human being than I am. And can we navigate that space between each other now? in a peaceful way. And that's where the conversations open up, ideally, um, if it hasn't gone too far. And if you don't, at that point, hate the person. Oh, that would be terrible. Now, Andy just got married a couple of years ago. They just had their first child three months ago. Andy, how's that going? Uh, it's going fine. <laughs> you don't want to jump no in. Complaints. You don't want to jump I mean, into this fray, Andy? been married for... Two years and we haven't really had any issues, so you know. Now you're not. Big what can fighters, I say? How no, How old were you when you, How old were you when you got married, Andy? Uh, twenty-eight and thirty-three. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that happens with couples uh, who get married young yep. is the research shows is that personality really doesn't kind of calcify yep. until the, around the age of twenty-four. So. Actually, the people who are most at risk for divorce are people who are married around 22 and younger. So at 28, you you kind of are who you are, and you're not going to change that much. And then once you hit those child-rearing years, the needs of your children will dictate what what a lot of what your relationship's going to yeah. look like. Yeah, we just had a kid three months ago. And yeah, yeah the uh, days have certainly been structured around him lately. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Just making sure that you get any sleep at all would be your top priority on top of that, thinking about needs. Well, thankfully, um, he's been a pretty good sleeper. Yeah, that's a blessing. It is. That is a huge <laughs> blessing. Chris, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I literally knew at 25 years old that I was not even close to being ready to get married. I couldn't even think about it. Well, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I've talked about, uh, about it on this show before. 
because I grew up very, very poor and in the ghetto, as they say. I promised myself I would not have sex until I, I was old enough because if I impregnated a girl at 16 or 17 or 18 years old, I was never going to get out of there. And I did not want to live in, in that kind of squalor my whole life. So I didn't have sex till I was 22, and that was a plan that I just kind of planned. That, and, and now looking at it, I'm really lucky that I didn't impregnate a woman when I was 22 either. What you just said, I probably would end up divorced anyway at 22. But... Um, yeah, 25, I met a woman, and I, I was very fond of her, but I just realized, I, I don't know why I had the self-awareness, Chris. I, I just knew I was not ready to get married. I, I just knew that I wasn't. I got married when I was 29 years well, Excuse me, I was 30. My goodness, I met Catherine when I was 29, so I was 33 when I got married. Um, and I'm glad I waited. I'd be very honest with you. I'm very, very glad I waited. Yeah, I think... Tom, you know, just because your personality, I said personality calcifies, that doesn't mean you know who you are. It just simply means that you're that most of the change that you, you're going to go through is stop. And so there's, there's also this really interesting research I just read that shows that most people don't understand who they are until they see their own behavior out in the world and then see it reflected back at them from somebody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So we're all in this process of self-discovery, and that's that's really in the couples that I work with. It's, um, I mean, I, the, my, actually, the first couple I ever worked with, the the husband was a marriage counselor, um, and this was an interesting story, just because uh, <laughs> they had been, they had been pitched to me that oh, these this is a couple who's going to uh, they'll be they'll find what you're doing is interesting. So I, I get them on the phone. It's this beautiful fall day. They call and we're going to do a phone session and they get on the line and they're just as tense and as terse as they could possibly be with each other. And with me, I can barely get a word out of them, but the husband does tells me he's a marriage counselor. And I'm like, uh, okay, well, this is my first session. Here we go. So I just kind of went from curiosity seekers to like, I stared at their assessments and I'm, and, and it just jumped out at me. It's like, this is, this was a couple, they were going to fight tooth and nail. They were going to, they'd throw the kitchen sink at each other to win. And they had this kind of hidden trigger that this assessment is really profoundly good at kind of bringing to light. And that hidden trigger would have stayed hidden from anybody. But so I I go through the session with them. It's going to be two hours. My program usually takes longer, um, but I just kind of jam it all in there. And at the end of it, you know, I I teach them. I have a, a program that I call negotiate like adults, which is, starts with under you know defining the unmet needs and um unpacking it and launching new behaviors and tuning into the new behaviors and settling your difference i go through this whole thing like you know two hours i'm talking faster than i'm talking now and at the end of it i just said well what did you think and they were just dead quiet until the the husband finally said well chris we've been doing 200 hours of marriage counseling um over the past 20 years, that's the drop in the bucket because I'm a marriage counselor and basically we're running through these processes kind of, you know, thousands of hours. It's the tip of the iceberg, that 200 hours. And he said, what you do is like getting 20 years of marriage counseling in a box. And the reason was, is not only could I show them the trigger, but all these aspects of self, which are kind of hidden until you get into it with somebody, um, were right in front of them. And and the needs, the unmet needs that were causing these, you know, burn down the house fights were right in front of them. 
And, you know, I was, I was, it was pleasing to hear that, but I, you know, I didn't know if it was going to help him or not. And it really wasn't until six months later, uh, the wife kind of reached out to call me and she said, you know, this has been stable for us. We, we haven't had a burn down the, I call them burn down the barn fights. Um, we haven't had one of those fights in the past six months. So it's kind of profound having, because otherwise, you know, we kind of bang it out and figure it out as we go. And, and we assume we're stable and our partner's stable. Uh, but life, life comes at you. I mean, like your story, Tom, it's life comes at you, you get through, mm-hmm. you get back through all kinds of things. You never thought you would in a million years. Yeah, there's no question about that. I just, I love your take on it, and it, I love what drove you. Was there one thing? Was it a number of things that just drove you to do it all? I, I, I got to. You're making total sense. Is I guess what I'm trying to say. It's accurate, unbiased, articulate in a way to see their personality differences. Look, we're we're married, but we're not the same person. A lot of people think, well, now that we're married, we're the same. You know, we're the husband and wife, or wife and wife, or husband, and husband whatever it is. We're, we're all the same. Well, we're not. Catherine is a lot different than I am. Uh, we're different people, but we love one another dearly. We, we have strength. We have the love of our children and our grandchildren. You look at all the, well, I, I think what, I guess what I'm trying to say here, not in a very, very succinct way, is that, is that it does concern me that the world is in such hubbub right now because it's teaching people you can lie your ass off to get what you need. And you can also harm people. The one thing that I always point out when I'm asked about this is, what do you think about these people that, you know, can, the cancel culture? And I said, what we need to understand and people don't understand is if you attack me, you're attacking my wife, my son, my daughter, and their children. It's not just me you're attacking. At this point, because of my age and my position, I'm the head of the family. So if you're attacking me, you're attacking my whole family, and that really makes me angry. So don't do that. I, do they not understand they're attacking a person's entire life, not just what they do uh, in books or on television or on the radio? Do, do they understand or do they not get that or do they not just, they just don't care? What do you think? Well, I heard uh, somebody says if you put red ants and you put black ants into a jar, they won't fight each other. But if you shake them up, they'll fight to the death. God. So I always want—I always wonder who's yep. shaking us up and what, and who gets the benefit from all this uh, putting putting each other at each other's throats, um, creating they create the issues. There's a lot of, I mean, all the the political discourse and everything around us that's creating this stuff yep. uh, that creates this disrespectful conversation. Um, it's it's not conversation that you and I would choose to have if we met on the street. No. Yeah. So it's respect. It's the lack of respect. And it's and it's a trap to me. It's just a trap to have any one of the conversations that form what we typically call political discourse. It's a trap. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I I just don't have the conversation because either I'll sound like an idiot or you'll sound like an idiot or we'll both sound like idiots to each other. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's very true. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I, and, and trust me, I fell, I've fallen into that trap like everybody else has, but you're, you know, it's your right to think whatever you want, Tom, and it's no, my I, right to do I agree. See, and I, I've literally, Chris, and this is, this is off topic, but we only have one more minute and I just, I'm enjoying this conversation a great deal. 
I, I grew up a Democrat. My mother was a hardline Democrat. And then I tried being a Republican for a while. And now I'm back to being pretty much a centrist because I didn't like either party because they all have, well, I mean, it's the money thing that drives me nuts. As long as there's money yeah. money flowing, then that's so oh, that's a whole different deal. But, you know, Chris, if I knew you better with only one minute left in the, in the conversation, I was going to say, hey, your wife just called. She said to bring home lunch. <laughs> but I won't do that. <laughs> Chris, I'd like yeah. to reach out to you more often because I think you're li- delivering a really good message that you're not a failure, your wife's not a failure, uh, you together, uh, you know, I'm talking about, you know, man A and, and woman A, uh, you're together. It's it's not your fault. You need to understand how to get there. And I think uh, the marriage cure uh, is a good way to get there. Again, marriagecure.com, Chris Shaver, S-H-A-V-E-R, uh, the developer, the, uh, developer of the Marriage Cure Program, an assessment-based conflict resolution program that provides couples with accurate, unbiased, and articulate way to see their personality differences, get a research-proven way to stop fighting and restore their love. Let's restore all the love we can, Chris. What do you say? You bet. And, and if anybody who comes to the Marriage Cure Program or marriagecure.com, uh, if you watch the webinar, which uh, you know kind of lays it out simply, uh, and reach out to me by email. I'll give you a free one-hour consultation. I'd love to, love to do that. So, And, Tom, it's been such a great pleasure speaking with you today. It's really uh, been a, a, just an enjoyable conversation. I feel the same way. And like I said, Chris, let's stay in touch because I'd love to have you on more often because you're, you're a very smart guy and you got great answers. I love great answers. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Anytime. Anytime. It would be my pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Have a good day, sir. Andy, we'll take a break right here. Be back in a couple of minutes with the family. And we are back with Stretch's picks. Who's winning this thing? The Kitties, the Pack, the Bears, or the Purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre. Saber and Brian doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit saberheating.com. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener's special square, check out this flash sale on the Giza Dream Sheets. It won't be around for long. There are also deep discounts on all other MyPillow products, too. Enter promo code TOM, T-O-M, or call 800-516-5146 for these great radio specials. 
through the pretzel. Viva Las Vegas. So what did you think of that, Andy? You're newly married in the last couple of years. What did you think of that? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, he seems to be more focused on couples who have been married for a little bit longer. No, that's true. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's pretty rare for troubles to arise in the first two years of marriage. Unless it was a doomed marriage to begin with, I suppose. Hey, come on. Nicolas Cage just kills it. Yeah. He gets married for like two, three days at a time. Exactly. I don't, <laughs> don't think those marriages were... Uh, they, they didn't have a good foundation. Not the, not the foundation you need. No, I don't think so. Yeah, you and Melissa don't spend a whole lot of time arguing, do you? No, not really. I mean, the only time that we ever really came close was when we were uh, trying to get the house ready to sell. Because it was a very, very... We were working on that house all day, every day yeah, for you months. Were. Very, very stressful time. And I just got sick of the house more than anything. Yeah, I understand that. But that's. Do you remember that period I was talking about, Andy, when we had to have the, the cops there for trick or treat, and I had to have an armed guard with me everywhere I went? And it, it just. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how stressful that whole time was? Was it stressful for? I, no. I assume it was very stressful for you. I was it? like eight years old. Eight year olds well, know, don't get stressed. Yeah, but you you noticed there were there were things going wrong. Well, I didn't know they were wrong. I just that's how they are. When well, you're I that suppose that young, is true. Anything that happens is just how it is. You don't really like think about, you know, is this abnormal in some way? Because that's what, true. What does abnormal even mean at that age? I suppose that is true. But man, that was a bizarre time. It just, literally, honest to God. But but you do remember people coming and sitting at the table with us in restaurants, and you keep going, "Who's that?" Yep. Yeah, they would just come and sit down, and God bless them. They loved the show, and I appreciate it and all that. Well, I just thought I was, like, missing something, like we had some other guest for dinner, and I didn't know about it or something. Right, exactly. And, you know, again, I'm not condemning people. I I, I think sitting down with a family is going a bit too far, but, uh, you know, that's just me. But, yeah, I do remember that period with your mother, and your your mother is a saint. There's no question about it, having to put up with that. But I literally, Andy, honestly, God, I remember seeing that number is the highest rated morning show in America and I thought how the hell am I how do I keep this going I mean that was the big pressure that very moment is like I cannot keep this up what the hell am I going to do there's no way I can keep these numbers this mm-hmm. high no way and it was very stressful dealing with that whole thing it just uh I don't know we got through it though and your mom and I have done very very well I, I adore you you know that I adore your mother I do it's true She's one of my favorite people, Andy, is a good way to put it. No, she's pretty... You know, she's still not over her uh, Versailles, or what is it? What does she have? Her bronchitis. Bronchitis, yeah. She just went to the doctor again today. And I can tell by my voice, I got a little... I hope I don't get that, man, because it's... There is no way I could be on this show or the morning show because the nonstop cough... You literally cough constantly. Oh, yeah, I got a very bad cough today. We have a cold... Oh, you got you guys. Not Ethan doesn't have the cold, does he? No, he doesn't have anything. But we've been relatively careful. To I mean, there's only so much you can do when you're constantly feeding him and putting him to bed and stuff. But he seems to yeah, have avoided it so true. far. I suppose that is true. It all it all does work out in the end. I just want to know that when I leave KQRS someday, and it's not going to be that much longer. I'm 70 years old now, so it'll be a few more years at the most. Do you think I'll be able to ask for $60 million like Chris Cuomo gets for... No, he got fired. 
How do you get such a big settlement if you've been fired? Well, he's leveraging the fact that the CEO also got fired. Yeah, he is leveraging that. That's true. Jeff Zucker. I one think of the he's saying that so. So Zucker's gone, which means his decision is moot. Which means, I guess, give me more money, somehow. But he he got fired for defending his brother, who was the mayor. The excuse me, the governor of New York. The governor got fired. He got fired. Now Jeff Zucker got fired. But Zucker really got fired because the ratings were dreadful. Oh yeah. Absolutely. What I love about Jeff Zucker is that he's the one who, who produced the the uh, Donald Trump uh, TV show. What was that called? The, the Apprentice? Was oh, that... The Apprentice, yeah. The You're Fired yeah, show. Jeff Zucker produced that. But as soon as he found out he could make more money on the other side, he abandoned Trump. And, and again, I'm not saying he shouldn't. Trump can be a massive pain in the ass. I understand that. But as long as the money's over on your side, okay, then I believe what you believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you? Really? Do you have yeah. no... Are there very few people in the world that will stand there and say, this is what I believe, and if you don't like it, tough titty? Yeah, absolutely. They just won't do it anymore, will they? Mm. I don't know if they ever really did. I don't know many people that do. I know a couple of people that, and I I don't know why I am the way I am. I think it's just is the way I am. It's like, I'm going to tell you the truth, and if you don't like it, get the hell away from me. I think a real conviction is rare. I'd say probably 10% of people truly have a conviction that they'll stand by no matter what. Yeah, they have no conviction. You're absolutely right about it. Did digital do that, do you think? It's just too easy no, to get I savaged? So. I think that's well, just it is pretty a, easy to get savaged. Well, yeah, but I think that's just the nature of, you know, how it is. You know, a bunch of uh, people come in and conquer your village, and they say, either yeah, do what we say or die. Most people are going to choose do what they say. I guess. It was just an evolutionary advantage to be agreeable like that to some degree. I suppose. And they probably ended up getting killed anyway. But you oh, know, A lot of them, I'm sure. I'm sure they did. The latest on, uh, this is a podcast, the latest on the Joe Rogan thing. Uh, he calls the controversy a political hit job, which is exactly well, what it is, is of course. 100%. It's a political hit job. Look, I'm not a fan of Joe Rogan. I've talked to him twice. I'm not, I don't, didn't care for talking to him. He's not a very friendly guy. Joe Rogan addressed the Spotify controversy he remains embroiled in on his Spotify podcast yesterday. This is a political hit job, he said, while discussing the video of him using the N-word multiple times in the past with his guest, comic Akash Singh. They're taking all the stuff I've ever said that's wrong and smushed it all together. But he said it's also a bit of a relief because the video had always been out there. It's good because it makes me address some stuff that I really wish wasn't out there. Uh, per the Hollywood Reporter, he doesn't regret apologizing for his use of the N-word, despite right-wing pushback on the mea culpa. He said, you should apologize if you regret something. Why would the why would the right-wing push back on him? Apolo- it's none of your business if he apologizes for something he said, right? Well, I think it's because in cases like this, apologizing is generally an indicator that they now own you. Really? I, I don't think, think that's true in his I case. I don't know. I mean, it seems to happen a lot. If if the mob can make you apologize, then they can make you do other things, too, just by continuing well, to apply point. pressure, continuing good to point. threaten, that sort of thing. All right, Andrew, that's going to do it for a Wednesday. We got the uh, big show tomorrow with uh, Doug Sprint. I assume Sprinthal's in the state. He's always flying all over the world now, big shot executive that this he is, is you know. All right, Andy, we'll talk to you tomorrow.